When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. It's been a, it feels like a long time since we talked, because uh, uh, unfortunately we weren't able to record uh, last week, and no. uh, a lot has happened Yes, uh, since our last episode. It's kind of weird <laughs> that not only has a lot happened, but two wins in a row that drives the Timbers winning streak to three is not even the biggest thing we're going to yeah, be talking about absolutely. on this podcast. A certain Brian Fernandez became official today, yeah. so we'll be talking about that in a little absolutely. bit, but Jamie, let's, let's stick to the routine. Let's go predictions. Let's go games. Predictions. Go back to Toronto. What was the prediction there? <laughs> I think I was in a very different thought process of where the Timbers were heading into Toronto. <laughs> I think everybody as we was. Will quickly get to uh, as we move into the Salt Lake game. Um, I, we didn't even make predictions for the Salt Lake game because uh, we didn't record, but I predicted a 3 2 loss versus Toronto. That is not what happened. That's not what happened, but that was a very good prediction. I have to confess, it was only until like maybe, I don't know, like an hour and a half before the game when I really started thinking about the implications of Altidore being out that I was like, this, I think this game could go either way. I, I was not so confident that the Timbers were going to win. And then even against RSL, they won 2-1. to one. I think the performance was worse in that game than it was against Toronto. But even then, it's like, uh, road game against a decent team. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Another 2-1. So before we start breaking it down game by game, overall, how do you feel about the team at this point? Yeah, uh, it's very different. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think Toronto was probably um, probably their best performance of the season, I, I, I would think. And then I, Salt Lake, I just think that was such a smart, as we'll get into, just a smart, disciplined road yeah. performance. The type of performance a team says, we need points on the road, what do we have to do to get that win? Um, this this team is a completely different team than they were three, four weeks ago. I, I mean, the amount of confidence they're playing with on the road right now, the way they're picking up results over the last three weeks, uh, the way that we'll get into it, but the way that, you know, Valeria and Blanco are coming alive in the attack. Yeah. This is just a completely different team than a few weeks ago. So I, I don't know what my prediction would have been going to Salt Lake, um, but my optimism about this team is a lot different than it was last week or, or the week before. Yeah, it's a little weird, isn't it? It's so hot and cold. <laughs> it is. Like right when we started to get our minds around the idea that maybe this Portland team is different this year, we start we have to start thinking of them with some more modest expectations. Now they're up over a point a game. And I think you tweeted after the game basically like, this is kind of where everybody would have been okay with at the beginning of the season nine weeks ago. So now... We're kind of thinking if they win one more of these next three games, that's pretty good. If they win one more, they hit the they've surpassed the goal that I, I think everyone was sort of the 12 point goal. Yeah, uh, that it was sort of the expectation knowing that road games were going to be hard early in the season. They're suddenly past that, which seemed just inconceivable uh, when they were on one point uh, three weeks ago. Uh, and even if they don't, I mean, 10 points. 
it isn't the end of the world. If for some reason it go, things go south, which it doesn't look like it will in the no. next few weeks, it's not the end of the world. They're already at a point where this road trip, you can look back on and say, hey, this team is in position to uh, make a run with the home games. Obviously, they want more, and, and it would be disappointing for them to just go 0-3 in the next three games. But the way they're trending, yeah. <laughs> it's a really I, good sign. I think if, if they did, for some reason, lose these next three games, it would be less about where they ended the road trip on than more just their form in that point in time because mm-hmm. they would still have 10 points yeah. at that point in time. The more pressing concern would be that they lost yeah. three in a row. This Vancouver game, we'll talk about it. It seems very important to me because it is the easiest of the games. If you lose in Houston, everybody's losing in Houston these days. And then Philadelphia is on top of the East. So those are two games that you would expect to be difficult, especially given the timing of them, so to speak. Like the, After this weekend, the Timbers kind of get out of rhythm. Midweek game in Houston, then a long delay before Philadelphia. Either way, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Why don't we talk about the game on Saturday? Two-to-one victory goals from Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri, both both one-time balls hit perfectly off of rebounds, different rebounds, different ways. But the Timbers have now won three in a row. They're sitting on 10 points. Let's tap back into the overall feeling. Do you think that they have... You Can you say that they've salvaged the road trip at this point? We've kind of danced around it a little bit. Are you ready to give them a bottom-line grade pass-fail as they had at all my UC school classes, pass-fail option. Did, are they in the past territory at this point in your mind? Yeah, I would say they were in the past territory. I wow. wouldn't say that they are in a position where you're feeling this is the top student in the class or anything like that. Um, yeah. But if you're going to put it on a simple pass-fail, I think 10 points uh, out of 12 games, yeah, maybe they maybe it's towards the lower end of pass. But I think, I think they have passed at this point. I mean, yes, I think they have salvaged the road trip. Now, can they put themselves in a position where you actually feel good about the road trip? Yeah. You know, if it stopped today, I think everybody would feel good about it, even though the record itself isn't that impressive. No. Three, five, and one. I guess that just goes to show you how much streaks actually seem to, I wouldn't say matter. Matter is kind of the word we say in these sentences, but when you really think about it, they don't really matter. They just they have a yeah. greater sense of like I don't know they make you feel a certain way but I wouldn't say 3-5-1 and one is a terrible road oh, record no. yeah, so even so though yeah the record's not great I think if you're looking just at the standings and they were a normal team that had been home games as well, you wouldn't be looking at 3-5-1 and saying yeah that's bad yeah absolutely I mean you, you think about the teams that are around them in the standings right now San Jose Vancouver they're teams that you kind of expected to be fighting for playoff spots at the beginning of the year and nobody thought the Timbers were going to be a couple people thought the Timbers were going to be in that area. But to be still on the fringe of a playoff race and not having played a second at home, yeah, I think they definitely get a passing grade for this trip. But as you already alluded, when we break down some of the details, some of the most encouraging things are the parts of the team that weren't performing so well early that are now coming around. Let's start with Diego Valeri. He gets on the scoreboard in this game. We know that his assist numbers had been high, but they'd kind of been off of corner kicks and secondary assists and set pieces. Not a lot created from open play, but let me throw this at you, Jamie, because I was thinking about this this morning. We're now in the range where Diego Valeri's play just kind of looks like last year's slow start and not so much the player where we need to go, ooh, do we think he's changed forever? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the last few weeks, you're seeing glimpses of the Dave Larry you want to see. And obviously the way he scored that goal, the type of shot he has, that certainly hasn't dipped. Uh, <laughs> that was a very nice goal. Um, I, I still think, you know, Valeri ha- has changed over time. I think he has gotten older. I, I think you see that with sort of how much defensive responsibilities he has, things like that. Um, but yeah, 
I, I think we're seeing the Valeri that you sort of hoped you would see uh, at this point. And whether he can keep it up, that's a question. I think even last year it sort of went in, in ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there was moments when you're like, Valeri, okay, he's back. And then it was eh, not so great. And I, I'm not sure what we're going to see from him the rest of the season. But he's doing what the Timbers need him to do right now. And uh, I, I know Savarese has downplayed it, but I do think the formation seems to have helped him too. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I hadn't really thought about it. Maybe I should have. Or maybe I just thought about it when they switched to this formation. Now it's just like, oh, production, numbers, let's talk about this. I think I'm at this place with Diego Valeri where I'm just going to have to keep an open mind with him until the yeah. playoffs start. Because last year, even though we got flashes during the season, I'm thinking about that ball he he played forward for Samuel Armenteros in Seattle where it was just like this perfectly weighted ball into yeah. space. And you still you can still see those flashes, but then you go to Dallas last year in the playoffs, and then boom, it's Diego Valeri. <laughs> kind of no matter what happens during the season, I'm always going to keep in mind that he might just turn it on in the playoffs. Same thing for Sebastian Blanco, who's playing well right now, but he was one of the best players in the league in the playoffs last year. And he's obviously, we talk about it on this show all the time. I feel like we have to mention it all the time, how he's really the best offensive player for the, the Timbers. I mean, just things like Saturday when the team isn't really playing that well, and he just you know, pounds a ball twice. Second one goes right under the bar. And you're like, yeah, of course, Blanco scored the goal that put this game in the Timbers favor all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I think they only had something like three shots on target in the game. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> Blanco and Larry sure made sure they were efficient with those chances. Right. Exactly. Probably the biggest talking point coming out <laughs> of this game though, and something that we haven't even talked about, but it was a surprise non-change from Toronto. No changes to the starting 11. We were told that Steve Clark was starting basically because they had promised him that start. They would promised him to start either Columbus or Toronto as kind of a reward for, hey, you've been, it's great that you're here. You've been working hard and training. We want to give you something. Was this just an extension of the reward, him starting on Saturday? I mean, I mean, I can't see it as the extension of reward. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that Savarese might not have wanted to change his starting lineup after the performance in Toronto and, and figured, well, Clark played well. Let's leave him in. Um, I think it's a little bit surprising to see Adonello maybe fall out of favor so quickly yeah. and how that kind of has happened um, from behind the scenes. But I, I'm not sure. I, I think there's probably elements of this that we don't fully know how mm-hmm. this sort of came about. But at this point, you can't take Clark out of the lineup. Well, it does bring to mind a question that we got in the wake of Columbus from a listener asking how many more mis- games with mistakes would Jeff yeah. Adonello have to make? And I said two more. I don't think Jeff lost his spot in the 11 because of the mistakes, plural. I mean, I think it would be fast if he lost it and just completely lost it after that one game because I thought he was playing well. Um, Maybe that had something to do with it, but as we were told, it was a predetermined start um, for Clark, so it's hard to say. But, uh, of course, once Clark played well, maybe that sort of tipped the scale knowing that Anella had had some mistakes. Yeah, this is the type of thing that makes me feel like an idiot. Because I'm around these, this team as much as I am, and I don't ask a basic question like, is Steve going to start this game again? And I don't know that they would have told me, because there was probably a good suspicion <laughs> that I would have told the world. But I didn't even ask the question. I just assumed that Jeff was going back in. So when I saw this weekend's performance and the wake of the performance in Toronto, I really stopped and thought about it from the coach's point of view. And They're two very distinct goalkeepers. I think what we're seeing from Steve, particularly this last game, he's really good with his feet. He's really willing to go out there and play the ball. We saw at one point he was uh, out there about 
12 yards higher than the, the penalty box, holding the ball, letting the center backs get split with perfect confidence that he can make that next pass. And uh, I think he's better in that area of the game than Jeff Atnella. Now, there are areas of the game that I think Jeff Atnella is better than Steve Clark. I think Jeff Atnella, his actual presence in the penalty area, as far as going off of his line, claiming crosses, being a physical force in the penalty area, I think he's better there. I think maybe he catches a few more balls than Steve punches. And I think his shot stopping and his ability to cover more ground, I think, is better than, than Steve Clark. That being said, I don't think it's totally absurd that Steve Clark, in certain circumstances, is getting this look. It's just more surprising than absurd, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, Clark was a starter in this league. It's not that he hasn't been a starter. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, I think we were both very surprised to see it not be sort of a one-off game. And at this point, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if he doesn't start in Vancouver. We haven't even we've talked around it. We haven't even said what he did. He made six saves in the game, including stopping a PK. Amazingly, thanks to Mike Donovan, we we know this. He he was apparently the first Timber to yeah. in in a regular game to stop a PK and not have the rebound immediately go back in. Oh so, really? Yeah. Um. I mean, you take out like actual penalty oh, wow. kick shootouts and things like that, but like in an actual regulation game, <laughs> Timbers so, have not a good luck at stopping PKs. Apparently, first that's amazing. Second, <laughs> second, Mike Donovan, you're a sick man. Yeah. Like you yeah. have a very very interesting curiosity for these things, but it's sick. It's an illness, Mike. <laughs> it's an illness. So let me ask this of you, and I'll answer the question to you. You don't want me to ask this question. You I know what's coming. I don't know. I, oh, it's, oh, no, it's the next thing oh, on the, the sheet. Oh, the next thing on the sheet. Okay. Who do you think should be the Timber starter? <laughs> Not just the starter this weekend, but who should be at the top of the depth chart at the goalkeeper position? You, you looked at me with just such a like, crazy <laughs> look. I was like, what are you going to ask me? <laughs> oh, it's written right in front of me. Yeah, uh, I hope people feel that, that nervous <laughs> pause in the podcast where you could just almost feel your what the hell you're yeah. doing. <laughs> Um, you know, if I was, if I were to just see both those players in in training and, and, um, maybe go through some preseason games, I I still think Adanella is probably out of those two, the long-term starter, Yeah, but you got to go with the hot hand. I, I mean, as of now, Steve Clark, in my opinion, is the starting goalkeeper for the Portland Timbers. And that could change in two weeks really easily because this is clearly a competition and an open competition, but there's, I would be absolutely shocked if they take him out of the lineup after his performance uh over the weekend in salt lake yeah and i don't it's only going to be a little while longer that it's only a two-person competition too aliazivicic is getting closer and closer to where he's going to be able to compete i would bet that he plays some for t2 first i I don't know for sure i again another question that i just haven't (laughs) asked but when we're talking about elements of distribution and seeing him play right now i think ivicic's distribution is even better than clark's i think clark from what I know, what I've seen of Clark, his tactical awareness is probably a little better than Ivicic's. But I haven't seen Ivicic play like an 11-11 game for the Timbers yet. So this will be interesting. I told you I would answer the question. I would also favor Jeff Attenella in this one. But I also think that you can look at it in terms of just a game-to-game tactical plan. Whereas if you think you're going to be playing a higher block and you're going to be possessing the ball more, you might go with Steve Clark. It might just be that close where something like that matters. In other places in the defense, We're less controversial players after this. Yeah, let's just go. <laughs> let's just go one by one. Let's go in front of the goalkeeper position. Let's talk about Bill Tuiloma, because against Toronto, we saw some of his athleticism. Uh, we saw some of his finishing skill against Toronto, and in this game too, we continue just to see Bill Tuiloma's ability to communicate. We see him as an organizing partner. We see him as somebody that's covering for uh, Larry Smabiala when one of them has to go for a challenge or not. And we're just seeing somebody that. Looks like he's been starting in central defense for more than just, what is it now, six or seven yeah. games. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that first game he came in there, it was in defensive midfield, and I forget which game that was against right now. but Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, even after the game, Savarese was praising his communication specifically, and that yeah. was at a time that we were talking about the lack of communication, particularly on the back line. So I think that element has really helped a lot in terms of the organization of the back line to have another guy back there that, that is going to communicate. Uh, I think his relationship with Mabiala has certainly been something, I mean, They've been training together, even if they haven't been playing that much together. It, it certainly seems to be working well. Yeah. And he just seems to play. I, I mean, he's still a young player, and he hasn't had that many appearances in his career, but he seems to play with a lot of composure, and he ha- clearly has talent. I, I think he's just a good player, and he's getting the opportunities now, and he's been around long enough that maybe that confidence and composure is, is coming with it. Um but it seems like the Timbers have found their answer at center back alongside Mabial at this point. As you're describing Bill, I'm remembering a point. My mind's eye is probably wrong about this, but it's probably like 78th minute of a game. There was a challenge, an RSL player goes down. And it's at that point in the game where you're like, okay, the Timbers really need to buckle in here because it's going to get really defensive. I mean, at the end of the game, the Timbers are playing basically a 5-4-1 at that point. And Bill Tuiloma just seems calm. He, like, stops. He helps the other guy up. He's just like, hey, sorry about that, and runs back where most people would be like, get back, focus. I'm really dialed in. I'm not going to waste any time here. Bill's always like that. Tuiloma is just always just kind of like the same guy all the time. And it's actually pretty remarkable to me because I guess I think of him as older than he is. He's only 24. Yeah. I say only. 24 is old enough. But he, based on his time at Marseille and everything that went before that, whether it be trials in England or going coming up through the Galaxy Academy, he just seems so much more worldly. And I think it's just, you know, you know how much I love Julio Cascante. <laughs> I got it into this episode, but I think Julio Cascante and Bill and Larry Smabial are just too much like for like. They they amplify each other's strengths while exposing each other's weaknesses. That's how I feel when I watch them sometimes. Whereas Bill Tuiloma and Larry Smabiala they cover for each other's weaknesses while allowing each other to express their strengths. I just think the pairing is just really good. Speaking of pairing, <laughs> let's talk about the right side as we go through the team. Andres Flores, Jorge, Jorge Morera, they've kind of teamed up to form a good tandem there. We know Morera likes to attack more. We know Flores can be a little bit more defensively accountable. Flores, with four starts in a row, has kept Andy Polo on the bench. Except for this weekend... Andy Polo got off the bench a little bit earlier, came in at the hour mark. So I want to pose this question to you. We know Andy Polo probably has a higher ceiling than Andres Flores. Who would you start at that right midfield position? Yeah, I I mean, I would try to get Polo back in that lineup because I don't think Flores is a long-term answer. Um, Also, however, um, and we'll get into a bit more, I I think that the the question might not even matter in a few weeks because I don't know where Brian Fernandez is going to come in. That might be the position. I mean, you might have to look at changing the formation slightly or changing the system, but if you want to get your best players on the field, that might be the location in which you pull a player. Yeah, we might be talking about two bench players at this point. So. Why don't we move away from talking about all of these, you know, positional elements, these positional debates, and let's talk about somebody that seems to be locking down his position. Tell me what you think of Christian Paredes these last three or four games, because particularly against Toronto, and he's he's continued that level of play since, he seems to be emerging as somebody that is almost locking down a starting spot. Yeah, I think he is. I, I also feel like I wrote a headline with that exact phrase last year. Um, so... <laughs> 
he's a young player, and I, 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 I expect that Predis will continue to have ups and downs because he is still a young mm-hmm. player. Um, obviously, as we talked about, that there's elements that contributed to his performance last year, but he looked like he had talent last year. I, I think now with a year under his belt, maybe with you know maybe not personal issues weighing him down, he's performing at the level that the Timbers had hoped he could, and I, I, I think he's a very talented player that has a very high upside. Um, and he's fitting well into this lineup. And I expect that there'll be ups and downs, but he's certainly playing at a level where he's an asset for the Timbers right now. Well, you know, Jamie, he is fitting in so well, yeah. <laughs> so well that we had our first trade of the season announced today. Timbers trade, at least. There have been other trades. Yeah. But David Guzman's gone, and he was basically traded for international spot. So or money. I mean, they basically eventually, right, it. right. One hundred and seventy-five thousand of gam and tam. If we want to talk all the weird yeah. terms of MLS over two years. So for people who don't know, Davi Guzman was traded to Columbus, reunited with his first MLS coach, Caleb Porter, in exchange for an international spot that, which then got flipped to the Houston Dynamo for a gam tam. What do you think of the trade? I mean, to me, it just seems like you're getting something for somebody who lost his spot. Yeah, I, I think. I guess, I guess the question mark here is what happens if Paredes has what would would not surprise me a little bit of decline and maybe in the middle season sure. or something like that. Um, so this is banking on the fact the Timbers are banking on the fact that they think they have enough depth there. I, yeah. I mean, Renzo Zambrano was on the bench. So this is not just saying something about Paredes. If they're making this trade, they're saying that they maybe believe in Renzo Zambrano being able to fill in that role as need be or Eric Williamson coming up or something like that because yeah. otherwise despite Paredes's emergence, it, it, wouldn't, it would, wouldn't make sense from a depth perspective necessarily to make this trade. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I like what it potentially says about some of the younger players getting opportunities outside of just Paredes. And, and clearly, I, I, I think if you want to continue to develop players like we've seen with the Bobasi, players that have a high upside, Paredes needs to start now. I, I mean, he's proven he's a good enough starter and he's only going to get better with time. Uh, it makes the sense for the Timbers to say, yeah, this is our starter going forward. Um, and, and they're banking on the fact that they have enough depth behind him, which we don't, I don't think we know too much yeah. that much whether they do or not, just because we haven't seen a lot of these younger players in, in the T1, uh, the first team uh, getting minutes. Yeah, you alluded to Renzo Zambrano. The guy's 24. Yeah. He did his time in Spain, had to come back from injuries. And when you watch USL games, he and Modu Jadama, you watch those games like, these, these guys shouldn't be at USL anymore. But there's just this log jam. And both those guys are older guys. Both those guys are in the 24 range. But you mentioned also Eric Williamson. Eric's, I can't remember last, he hasn't played an eight since the midway point of last season. Yeah. So he can play an eight, but I, I actually think he can only really play an eight in the th- a true three-man midfield. Asking him to be one of two, I don't know how, who that second person is that makes that work. But also, you hate to break it up, but Bill Tuiloma is the death person for central yeah. midfield. And then, of course, Russo Flores, too. So there are, there are a lot of decent options there. But I think probably for the first time this year, there's a clear one, too. And we know who one is. It's <laughs> Diego Chara, Chara. So number two, I think, clearly is Christian Paredes at this point. But that brings us back to Guzman. Do you, we're talking about depth here. Would you, would you personally rather have him as the third midfielder or would you rather have the Gam Tam and the open spot in the 18 for Renzo? Yeah, I, I think I think it was a good trade. I, I think this was the right time to move Guzman. I, I think that he's been more and more inconsistent um, over since really 2017. I think last year he was inconsistent. I, I think he didn't mm-hmm. have a strong start to the season. 
I, I don't know if that was going to change. I mean, obviously, towards the end of last season, he did very well for the Timbers when they moved back to the four two three one. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily done well in other systems. And I, I don't think he offers maybe the versatility that they want. Um, it, it just seemed like it wasn't a fit at, at this point, and they could still get some money out of it. it. It made sense to move him with this opportunity. So David arrived in, arrived in winter 2017, right? That team went? Uh, the t- winter 2016. He played 2017. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So the crossover winter, right? Yeah. Okay. He arrived, he arrived before oh, the 2017 yeah, I season. It. I, I got it. You were thinking January, and I'm thinking December. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that team ended up finishing first in the West in the regular season. Yeah. His second year here, he like you described, he was a key part to that team making a run to the cup final, him coming in and then solidifying that 4-2-3-1 formation. So I think while we both agree that it's probably best that he's not starting right now, and it's probably good for him to go to a place where he might compete to start, you would think they would only acquire him if they think he could at least compete to start. He had two pretty good. He was yeah. part of two pretty good teams here. Speaking of pretty good teams, the Timbers will be trying to extend their winning streak to four <laughs> by going on Friday to Vancouver. It's their first Cascadia Cup derby of the year. Uh, Friday night game, everybody. So it's the first one that's kind of breaking up the routine a bit. Uh, a lot of these Canadian teams are doing a Friday night games here, and first trip of the year to BC Place. So Vancouver. What do you think of them, Jamie? Yeah, you, you, your transition, you said, speaking of pretty good teams, and I was going to be like, which, <laughs> yep. which team are you speaking of? Oh, oh, the Timbers, okay. I admit, uh, I only want to see the look on your face there when I, when I swiveled, when I twisted on that. Yeah, um, Vancouver is not a pretty good team, Whoa. in my opinion. Uh, they are coming off a 3-2 road win over, uh, oh I think, God. the worst team in the league, Colorado Rapids and then right now. Axel Schulberg just gifted them two goals yeah. in that game, too. I'm, al- I'm also feeling pretty dumb for thinking that Colorado, with all their veterans, is going to find a way to be like a seventh place team. Yeah, that that was wrong. I, I could have you doing it that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made a bet and I didn't make an actual bet they got. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I I tried to pick a underdog and yeah, yeah that well, that was wrong. Um, that's, that's appropriate context <laughs> of the question because we asked each other to pick underdogs. Um, I won't mention mine. We'll just note that Vancouver. My, mine were Houston and Minnesota. Yeah, well. Yeah. Oh, I, I did mention him. Uh, I did mention him. Okay. Oh, what a jerk. But uh, yeah, the Vancouver struggled this year. Uh, very, very clearly has struggled. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the questions we got, um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess the questions I want to throw you is, uh, do you think the Timbers can extend their win streak here? And, and then um, I am also a we uh, said, if the Timbers extend their away, uh, win streak to four, does that erase the miserable start to the season? I mean, certainly in terms of the record, but I think we're always going to have that feeling of uncertainty. And like we're talking about here, this seems so hot and cold that as long as that memory of cold is in our mind, it can't be erased. So even if the Timbers win six in a row, the next time they lose two, we're going to be like, is another streak starting here? Yeah. So there's, there's some confidence to be won back. I'll say this about Vancouver. They beat LAFC at home, one to nothing. They drew Seattle Sounders at home, 0-0. This weekend, they allowed two goals, but it was basically because Freddie Montero was kind of an idiot twice in the penalty area, uh, committing two penalties. One was one of the most amazing penalties I've ever (laughs) seen, where he shoved his own teammate into two two Columbus players, and those Columbus players got taken down while they were trying to play across. And they went to VAR, and they're like, well, we have to call that. Like, basically, he used his own teammate as a blocking sled to clear out the... uh, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyways, Freddie Montero basically just created those two goals for Colorado. Otherwise, the Colorado, um, the Vancouver defense was pretty good, and their defense has been pretty good all year. But I just think whoever scores first in this game is going to win it. Um, 
you don't want to say that about the Timbers because they have been pretty resilient. They've been coming back from leads. They've been responding to goals. But I think Vancouver's defense is is decent. Their attack, um, I'm not sure they have one above attack above average attacker on their whole team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of, I think to some degree, Vancouver's a brand new team. So there's some chemistry issues probably that yeah. exist. But yeah, I would agree with you. I, I mean, their defense is probably okay. Um I don't know if with time their attacks can get better or if they're just going to have to get new players at some point. But they they're a completely different team this year. I don't think Timbers fans will really recognize uh, the Vancouver team yeah. uh, that the Timbers play. But they'll this, recognize Russell Tybert and Freddie Montero. Yeah. This is a winnable game for the Timbers one way or another. It's a place that they also tend to win games. Yeah. Uh, so unless it's the last game of the season, <laughs> unless it's the last game. I don't think. I think in 2012 it was last game of the season yeah, that's true. too when they won it's the last Cascadia. game of the season. And you haven't won a road game. And yeah. You get to the playoffs. <laughs> you have the Cascadia Cups on the line. Only if all those things line only up. Only if all the things. If it's only the Cascadia Cup on the line, then they win. Well, we have your prediction then. <laughs> Foreshadowing there. We'll get to that in a second. Um, let's yeah. go ahead and think about Vancouver. Let's think about Houston. Let's think about Philadelphia. Go on record now, Jamie. How many points do the Timbers get out of these last three games? Je- play Jeopardy music it's now. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be three or four. I have. Okay. I, I, I'm going to this game with confidence, and I, I think that they, with the way the Timbers are playing, they might be able to pull out a draw in one of these other two games. I think it's going to be much tougher, um, not just because of the, the form that Houston and, and Philly are in, but... I do think the Wednesday game is going to mess up the rhythm a little bit um, in terms of next week, of Friday to Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that those final two games are going to be tough. I think this is their biggest. I, I, I've been saying this for weeks, even before they went on the run at Toronto, looking down the schedule when they were on the five-game losing streak. Next big game is Vancouver. Yeah. Um, of course, Timbers changed the narrative, <laughs> but I, I still see this as a, a very winnable game for the Timbers, and this is the one they want to take advantage of. Yeah, that... Philadelphia game to me is shaping up as quietly important because that Houston game is going to be tough. Shortish turnaround. They at least have a Friday game and not a Saturday or Sunday game before that. Midweek, Houston's a place where everybody struggles and they have such an aggressive physical uh, front three attackers that's going to put pressure on any defense. So if they drop that game, all of a sudden they're going to Philadelphia, who's first in the East, feeling a little pressure not to carry a two or three game losing streak home where all of a sudden not only do you want to start good at home, but guess who's visiting? LAFC, the best team in the league. So all of a sudden that Philadelphia game looks like one that could be quietly important, but at the same time, I think I would like the Timbers to get between at least four points. Like the Philadelphia team, when I watch them, they, don't, they aren't super impressive to me, and the Timbers have been playing well enough on these other road games that I think they would have to dip a little bit. Yeah, we have to see if they can keep the form up. Um, let's talk about something that's going on around the Whitecaps right now, where the supporters groups around the Whitecaps have been staging protests at game and been very vocal outside of games to try to draw attention to what they perceive as the club's lack of attention to um, allegations of, of abuse within their youth system centered around one of their former youth coaches. Uh, this weekend, when the Timbers Army go up to have their typical raucous deep support in the, I guess it's, that would be the northeast corner of BC Place. Uh, they have pledged to stand in solidarity with the Southsiders and the other groups up there. Jamie, I don't know if you have any more context on what's going on up there or what's going to go on, on there on Friday, but in general, how do you feel about this whole situation? 
Yeah, um, I, I don't know how much more context I have to add. I know that the Timbers Army was reaching out to the South Side, uh, Southsiders and, and making sure um, that they could do whatever they could to support the cause. Um, obviously, there, there's, a, I think, a blog post online from a former player that I recommend anyone reading um, that details a little bit more of the allegations and, and, and sort of the inappropriate text, inappropriate touching, things that were going on um, at the girls' youth level with the, with this coach. Um, I, I think that I, as someone who doesn't cover the Whitecaps on a regular basis, I, I'm not as well informed about this as I would like to be. Um, but I, I think in terms of any sort of abuse allegations, I, I, I think that it's unfortunate to not see a quicker um, and, and swifter response from the club. It sounds like they locked out some media of the press conference they ultimately had, which is super disappointing that, that they um, sort of looks like they picked and choose which media they wanted to be there to maybe have more of a friendly environment. Um, I, I, I think that there has to be more accountability and, I think maybe some of that could be coming from MLS, which I, I don't think has talked about this either. Um, uh, but I, I think the Vancouver media has done a good job of covering this. I uh, feel like I don't want to say too much just yeah. because I haven't been the one on the ground, you know, covering this every week. Yeah. Uh, Jamie is the person that asked us this question, not Jamie Goldberg, J-A-Y-M-E from Twitter. Uh, what can the league do to better address harassment and abuse? Uh, I think we can answer that in general. You always want to see organizations act with a sense of moral responsibility and urgency. And quite frankly, Jamie, since most of the stuff I know about this, I've learned from social media, and I haven't actually done a lot of research into this myself, I can't speak in anything but hypotheticals. But I would say it's fair if people feel like on this issue in particular, when you're talking about just the most vulnerable of groups out there, to have people in power even give the perception that they're not acting with urgency and any kind of moral responsibility. Even if that, even if behind the scenes they are doing that, you want them to be public, to be transparent about that. And Vancouver may very well be doing that. Again, I don't know for sure, but I can speak hypothetically that if that's not the case, you have to at worst empathize with the fans that are doing this and if not outright support them doing this because what's the alternative? To forgive, to forgive organizations that are unwilling to take that responsibility and proactively try to see how they can be better or how they could have been better, that's, that's an alternative that none of us yeah. find acceptable whatsoever. So um, I really wish, Jamie, that I could speak with more certainty on this, but I will admit when I see on social media what the Timbers Army are doing to stand together with their, their fellow Cascadian uh, fans... It makes perfect sense to me as something that you would want to support. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we transition out of that, I Jamie? don't know how we transition out of that. But uh, let's just jump right long, into Brian Fernandez. A long Fernandez break talk. to yes. a totally different topic. Let's yes. talk about Brian Fernandez. Okay. So after weeks, if not months, of speculation, the second leading scorer in the Mexican Clausura will be leaving his team, Club Nicaxa, joining the Portland Timbers. And while the transfer fee is undisclosed, uh, Jamie, you reported that it's probably a little bit under the 10 to $12 million that's been reported, but also certainly a club record fee. Yeah. So what do you think of the move? And why don't we put the second question off? Because in our notes we have, where do we think that he's going to fit? That actually seems to be the biggest question regarding <laughs> Brian Fernandez. Let's just talk about him in terms of a player. They're getting somebody who, over the last four months in Liga MX play, has been 
arguably the most, well, I wouldn't say the most dynamic player in the league, but you combine his dynamism with productivity, one of the most attractive targets in the league. And he seems to fit the Timbers in a way that they, they needed, if they were going to go sign another designated player, they needed to be kind of a marquee attacking player. I know a lot of people were like, go get a central defender, but for this kind of money, we've, we've talked about this on the yeah. show before. So what do you think about the actual person that they've targeted and landed? I, I think this is huge. Uh, I, I, I mean, looking the, at the league he's coming from, looking at, at his statistics, the Timbers have never signed a player like this in, in yeah. their MLS history. They just haven't. I, I mean, Diego Valeri clearly has done amazing things here. Fernando Audi did amazing things here. Um, but those players, just based on the league they were coming from, the production they had shown, where while they were established, uh, at least in Larry's case, established, Audi was young and, and had, had done well too. It wasn't to this level. It wasn't in Liga MX, and it wasn't the second leading scorer in the league. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they were from coming from different leagues and, and situations. So it, it's the, at this point, it, it's the biggest signing clearly in club uh, MLS history. He has to prove it. But he's certainly shown that he can score in, in MLS or in League MX, and I don't know. I'm really excited to see him play because I think this could be a immediate difference, uh, game changer for the for the Timbers uh, if he can score at anywhere close to the rate that he was scoring in League MX. Yeah, I mean, just in theory, if they're going to add another goal scorer, let's let's just say he's another person that will score double digit goals in a season. I think they're hoping for a little bit more out of that. But let's just say that's it then all of a sudden you have four people on the team that conceivably could get to that level. Jeremy Bobesey has been scoring at that pace through eight games. We know that Sebastian Blanco is still at that level. There's some open questions about Diego Valeri. We've talked about that throughout the year. And then you add him. That's a lot of scoring depth yeah. across a lot of different positions. So you can understand why this player would be so attractive. From watching highlights, too, the idea of this guy getting out on the break on the turf at Providence Park is... It, really exciting just because the style of player he is the the speed that he offers the physicality that he offers the the kind of venom with which he attacks when he's in the open field i think some people have seen the highlights of his finishes and everything i mean he's just he's a player that offers something completely different than when we think about valeri we think about blanco and abobasi we know the team is good on the counter but they just don't have that one blazing force that can just break a defense with his own kind of speed and physicality and verve and it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Andrew asks, kind of the question that we've got to talk about goes to his fit. With Fernandez coming in, who might we see head to the bench? Like I said earlier, I think the most obvious uh, solution would be to put Flores and or Polo, depending on who you consider the starter in that position, at the moment to the bench. Mm-hmm. Um I think that puts your most talented team on, on the field, but I, I do think it raises questions in terms of the formation. The formation has worked really well with the four four two recently. Yeah. If they were to do that and try to keep the formation, that essentially I think pushes Diego Valeri into the midfield, into a role that you'd want a player to be able to provide more defensively than Diego Valeri's going to. So mm. does that end up sacrificing the defense too much by going to that? Um, obviously, they could look at a, a four-two-three-one again, but we saw how well that went earlier this season. I, I mean, clearly, that would be an easy fit, just putting him on the wing where Polo would be playing in that uh, formation. I, I still think it's that's the most obvious solution. I, I mean, because otherwise, you are saying either 
let's give Valeria rest once in a while and, and see how this works out or put a Bobasi on the bench. And, and I just think with the way a Bobasi is playing, it doesn't make a lot of sense, both from a confidence side and, and from the, the team's success to immediately say, Fernandez is here, we're going to bench you. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. In fact, what I think is probably going to happen is they're going to wait till Fernandez is here. They're going to wait to see him in training, and then they're going to answer the questions. Where is this guy going to be most effective? And I think it was a while ago I was, um, I was doing a podcast with the Guardians, Jonathan Wilson, who wrote a book that probably half the people on this podcast have listened to, um, you know, Inverting the Pyramid about the history of tactics. And one thing that he said is that, you know, managers don't look at teams in general as far as, okay, how can I fit players into this pre-existing paradigm of how I want my shape to look like? What it's more like is, except for in some exceptions, what it's more like is I have this set of capabilities in these players. How do I put these capabilities in position to be expressed most effectively and how I can make sure those expressions complement each other? Um, so I, I think that might end up being it. It's like, okay, Fernandez is one of our most va- most valuable players. So is Valeri, Blanco, Abobasi. How do I put them on the field in a way that works less in, and less in terms of like, okay, are we going to play the four, two, three, one or the four, four, two. So we'll see. I bet you, I guess I would bet that we might see the return of the four, two, three, one, just because Chara and Paredes have been doing such a good job of holding down the midfield. I mean, it is clearly the, it is clearly the formation that fits. If you want to get all those players right. on the field, it, it's clearly the one that you can look at it and makes the most sense. Right. Um, my only question is the but, right yeah. side because the thing that's been making Jorge Morera work is Andres Flores. But you can't be married to that. You can't say, okay, here, nine games in the season, we have accepted that Andres Flores is going to start for the rest of the year. He's going to make 23 yeah, starts that's this not year. Gonna happen. No, right? Andres <laughs> Flores has done a job right now. How do you move forward? Well, putting Brian Fernandez in. If you don't think every team in MLS is gonna, not going to attack that side, then you have a very low regard for other coaches in this league. The Timbers are going to have to come up with solutions. How are they going to defend on that side? Because we saw throughout the first few weeks of the season, when this team got exploited wide, it got bad really yeah. quick. Yeah, I think the big question is, can the Timbers get their best players on the field and still not sacrifice too much defensively right. um, with Brian Fernandez coming in? Because clearly he's going to play one way or another. Uh, but I think the ideal would be to find a situation that works that keeps both him and Abobasi on the field. Yeah. But that's not going to work if the defense starts uh, shipping goals like it was earlier this and season. It can also just be a week-to-week basis. Yeah. The games are going to come Absolutely. faster and more furious. There's going to be more turf games in the second half of the season. It can come down to matchups. They might have to spell Blanco here. They might want to spell Abobasi here. Maybe Abobasi goes to the goal cup. Maybe somebody gets hurt. Yeah. Uh, maybe they just have to play it by ear. But let's get to Haley's question. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but it gets, it gets into kind of reading some of the signs that maybe we, we want to give our impressions of here. Savarese is saying Fernandez is going to play primarily as a forward, but he played winger at most of his other clubs. Do you think Gio wants Ebo and Fernandez up top then, or does he want something different? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that in, in the quote that Gio had in, in the prepared statement he had when they announced the Fernandez signing, he said that they see Fernandez as a forward. I think he meant that more broadly. And, and he had a conference call earlier in the day that I think uh, backs up that understanding. I think he meant that broadly as in in the forward line. He's yeah. not a Diego Valeri that can maybe play a forward position, but also a playmaker, but also a winger or something like that. He's thinking a forward line as in, two forwards up top, one forward up top, or the winger position in maybe a 4-3-3 or something like that. 
that that's how I see it. I, yeah. I don't think he was trying to rule out the winger thing at all. And, and speaking to Gia later in the day, I, I think it's very clear that they are excited about the versatility and the fact that he can play on the wing, he can play in a two front, he can play as a solo forward. And I have actually gotten feedback in the other direction where in some of the things that I've been asking internally about Fernandez being slotted at right midfield it's like no 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 don't just assume that's going to happen this guy can play all of these different positions and don't just assume right now we know exactly where he's going to go of course you have ideas it's like oh this could work if this happens but the if this happens part of this right now is if he comes into training performs well looks good in these positions fits well within our scheme in these places and I mean one thing at Nakaxa I mean, this is because I didn't watch a ton of Nakaxa games. I don't know how he defends in that position. And that's clearly as much as any, way more than on the left side where there's Zarek Valentin over there. The defending of the right midfielder in this 4-4-2 right now is very important. So how do they work that out? So Haley, yeah, I think it's a very open question at this point. But also, you know, maybe Giovanni Savarese used one term that was too specific, like you're, you're talking about. Um, Stu asked, the status of Brian Fernandez remaining two-game suspension and what game we might see him available to play? Question mark is the well. Let's ask. Let's follow up in a second. So, Brian Fernandez served a one game red card suspension this weekend after his sending off against Monterey in his next what was supposed to be his next last game in Liga MX. It turned out being, to be his last game. He still has two more games to serve on a suspension that was added on after a confrontation with a fan as he was leaving the field. It seems like nobody knows for sure where he's going to be serving that suspension. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think the, uh, the understanding I got today was that the Timbers are getting clarification on that. I, the feeling was that it won't carry over, but there was no set clarification. So even if that might be the feeling, mm-hmm. you have to see what what uh, they hear from League of Max, MLS, the league, what, whatever it turns out to be. Um, so I think they're still getting clarification, I, even if that clarification took through Saturday for some reason. Yeah. I don't think there's any way, even if he was available, that he's playing in Vancouver regardless. Yeah, he arrived in the U.S. Uh, today, Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, there was multiple reasons that I think Gio and Gavin allude to on the conference call, not just he needs time to Im- integrate, we don't want to like force him in and get him an injury, but also they don't want to ruin the dynamic of the team by, by players just feeling, oh, I lost my position from some guy who's been here for two days. I, I mean, there is a delicate dynamic there when you're inserting a new player. So I absolutely don't see him playing in Vancouver regardless. I wouldn't even be surprised if he didn't play in Houston just because that's a quick turnaround there. Yeah. Um, but then they have the, then they have, what, 10 games, days between yeah, games? Yeah, but that, I mean, so. that would be the end of that suspension regardless. So my point is... Yeah, you're right. It might just be a moot point. It's, I don't think it's necessarily that huge of a deal, even if uh, in terms of the suspension, we can talk about how he got the suspension in a second. But um, in terms of just the number, I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, but there are still getting clarification on that. I, I think where it may come up is that Houston game if they want him to play. I mean, or potentially they want him to come off the bench in Vancouver. It, it may be a legitimate question. I absolutely don't see him at least starting in Vancouver, and I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start in Houston either. All right, so let's talk about it. Let's let's go backwards in time. So let's go back to a week and a half ago, the incident at Monterey. I think most people, if you haven't heard, well, let's just assume you haven't seen the video um, he basically gets two yellow cards. Um, he got a yellow card at some point during the game. I don't remember what for, but the second yellow card was for coming back onto the field. When, well, this is from the referee's point of view, when he shouldn't have been coming back onto the field. But basically, the person that was subbing on for him wasn't no longer subbing on at that time, so he stayed on the field and he was yellow carded for it. And then he grabbed the referee's arm, I think, and pulled down on it a little bit. 
And then after he was leaving the field, after being shown a red card, um, he got the kind of verbal abuse that you see in a lot of non-U.S. places in this part of the world. I would like to repeat that to you guys, but we are a family show here. Just think of the worst things that you've heard people say about other people's mothers, and that's what was directed at Brian Fernandez. What we saw afterwards was Brian Fernandez spitting at the person who was yelling and assumedly holding the camera, um, spitting in his general direction. So, hence the suspension, hence the question. How much are you worried about that? Yeah, and I I think I I do want to bring in the other other point that might all fit into a narrative that you that some people might want to build around him um and i'll, I'll get to what i mean by but I, oh, I, I was going to talk about that next oh you're going to talk about it next well, I, was, I, was, I was just going to keep going thinking, back in yeah time. I, I felt like we should bring it yeah, all together yeah, um yeah. obviously this comes uh uh three four years four years after um he was suspended as a 20 year old I, I believe it was for over a year um he may have served something like 18 months um, after being uh, testing positive uh, in a drug test for, co- for cocaine, um, it was coming at a time, it sounds like, where there was some personal issues going on. It sounded like, based on the uh, news outlet I've read, that he was dealing with the death of his brother at the yeah, time. Do, I mean, do we want to talk about that death? Because it, it was a pretty dramatic suicide. Okay. Um, his brother, one night, drove a motorcycle through Santa Fe, pretty, with the intent to injure himself, hit a car flipped over that car into the road, got up and shot himself in the head. Spent 36 hours in a coma and eventually passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, Brian comes from a family of 10 brothers and sisters. I think brothers, actually. Yeah, I should, I should try to remember that, but this is a new player. I don't know all the details here. Um, and his, uh, his use of drugs coincides with that. If you uh, are willing to use Google Translate, he does talk about this in a number of articles out there. Um, he talks about living his life as an as somebody who has had a narcotics issue in the past, the things that he has done to his lifestyle to change things. Saw a quote last week where he basically said, you know, I used to go out and go out at night and not come back. And now I don't go out anymore. And if I knew it's always with other people and just little, little things like that. And of course that's four years ago in his life at this point. But I think like you're hinting at it, maybe could show a pattern. I think the one thing that I want to say is that, um, and you know, I've had more time to kind of live with the reality of Brian Fernandez's uh, drug story than everybody else. So I don't want to get too preachy about this, but look, a, a lot of people we know do drugs. A lot of people we know aren't in fields where they're drug tested all the time. He is, he should have known better, but I think judging him as somebody that has done drugs in the past, I, I think most of the people on the show, whether they know listening to the show, whether they know it or not, know people that do drugs. And so it's it's a very it's a very weird thing to come down on a twenty year old so hard on, on this, I think, or to describe him in a certain way as if you know him. It might just be a twenty year old's mistake. Now that being said, what you want to talk about is this is this all part of a continuum or a spectrum or a collection of behavior? Yeah, and what I what I actually am going to say is it doesn't seem to be. Um, I think hearing those two um, stories, it, it's easy to assume this guy is a partying hothead or something like that. Um, it does seem like, though, if you actually read into them, and I, I do think this is something that's going to be hanging over his head a little bit when yeah. he comes here, no matter what. Uh, and I think he's going to have to prove um, that the, these things, the, the drug suspensions in his past, that this... Um, incident with the fan was uh, just a heated moment that isn't going to happen. But 
I think he had that was his first red card in a ridiculous number of games. I, mm. I don't know the exact number, but so he's not a guy that's getting a lot of red cards. Um, <laughs> uh, so that it seems a little bit out of character that that happened. It's not something you've seen happening before. And obviously, what was being yelled at him, uh, not really an excuse. I mean, I don't think any player should be spitting at, at any fan or in the direction of any fan, but. Clearly, it was a heated moment, and maybe you can give him a little bit of a pass for that if it is something that he's apologetic for and has only happened once in his career. Um, and then the drug incident, similarly. I mean, I don't think there's a you can excuse it completely, but it does seem like there is a bigger story around it, and it's something that he has moved past from and taken active steps to put behind him. So my feeling going into this is sort of that this is a little bit of a cloud hanging over his head coming into this team. Yeah. But it seems like he has actively learned from uh, these mistakes, uh, particularly the, the drug suspension, has actually made changes to his life. His own is, is I think, Gavin Wilkinson said 10 times today in the conference call, is honest and open uh, about these situations. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here and, and see what he, he's like as a player here, because I think he is a great signing on the field. And it seems like even if there's been some mistakes and issues in the past, he, he's owned up to them. I mean, I mean, not just based on, I mean, that's the world that Wilkinson used in the conference call today, but it, just based on what I've seen in the media, it really does seem uh, that way. Yeah. I, I, look, these are two things that are very different and they're four years apart. Yeah. So I don't know that we can see a pattern there, but like you said, whether it's one cloud or two smaller clouds and yeah. whether you agree that the clouds should be there or not, they're, they're there. And so it's going to take some time, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. You can understand why people are talking about it, but you also hope that they understand that they don't really know and we don't really know. Maybe it's, maybe there's even other stories here, that yeah. uh, other contexts that we don't know about yet. Well, Brian Fernandez will surely, by the end of the month, will have been in the team. By that time, the Timbers will be home. June 1st is coming soon. June 2nd is also coming, where the Thorns are going to be hosting the Chicago Red Stars in their home uh, first home game. Jamie, the Thorns didn't play this last weekend, but the weekend before they drew 2-2 in New Jersey against Sky Blue. Probably don't have a need to go very deep into this, but let's at least get our reactions out there. What did you think about that game? Yeah, I I mean, I clearly missed the prediction on this one, too, with a 3-1 win. Um, Even though the Thorns seem to have trouble with Sky Blue, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are actually a better team than Sky Blue. Mm it, it does raise questions for me about the Thorns' vulnerability on defense right now. I, I, I feel like now our sample size is slightly bigger. It's still yeah. just two games, but it, it does raise questions about are we just seeing the same defensive issues of last year and how long is it going to take them to move past that? Obviously, their, their defense is going to look different. Emily Sonnen's not with the team anymore until uh, the end of the World Cup. Um, so starting this weekend, I mean, you're going to see at least one change on the back line. Um, and then when Ellie Carpenter leaves, uh, another change um, as well. So I, I don't know. It, it's so hard to to sort of pick up trends when the lineups are going to be changing so quickly. Yeah. Um, but that that was one of my major takeaways. Good comeback um, in the first half. Uh, 
obviously Carly Lloyd is a, is a good player and is going to capitalize when she has the opportunities, but yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> you've heard that once in a while. <laughs> once, once or twice. I've heard <laughs> once it. Or, maybe, did the maybe national team from Japan call you or something? <laughs> maybe uh, I heard it in a whole foods commercial. Yeah. Or something <laughs> like commercial. I think the concerning thing for me is we're back in the same situation we were a year ago where we were seeing these, um, remember at the beginning we were seeing these isolated mistakes in defense and we we're kind of saying, well, it's not the same mistake every time. So let's not be too worried. And it's kind of the same thing here. Yeah. Oh, it's not the same mistake every time but you're finding ways to make mistakes like against sky blue it was basically mistakes in the midfield yeah okay so you guys are getting another problem now that's not great at the same time it's like you said it's so hard to even if you discern a pattern here think that pattern will matter over the next two months because things are going to be changing so much i mean for me it's probably more important that okay how did dagny bring your look over the bulk of her performance, how did her, the relationship with Celeste Bure look in midfield? Because that's obviously a very different dynamic than Celeste Bure and Lindsay Horan. Uh, how important is Lindsay Horan? I mean, that we kind of maybe got some glimpse of that two weeks ago. I'm not really willing to draw much from a 90-minute sample that was weird because one team went up a couple goals early. But at the same time, these are all questions that we should ask, right? Um, yep. On the other hand, Portland did fight back. They probably could have gone up before halftime second half both teams had their chances by the end of the game sky blue was creating the better of the chances how much should we read into the ability their ability to kind of staunch the bleeding and get things back on track yeah (laughs) you're not into it (laughs) it's sky blue what am i gonna say richard i mean yeah i I think that the expectations should have been that they were going to make this game competitive even even down to zero the thorns are too good just to sort of it would have been very discouraging to see them sort of just uh, collapse at that point. I I mean, especially with the attack that they have, they're too good to just give up. I think they did a good job to come back in the game. I I think it's a little disappointing that they weren't able to build on that in the second half. It really could have gone either way um, in the second half. I I mean, Sky Blue, like you said, probably had the better chances at the end and uh, could have potentially found the way to win it. Um, Yeah, I I mean, it's going to change so quickly in the next few weeks. I I think the defense remains a concern to me whether it's the back line or the midfield like you said i mean the mistakes and we saw on the timber side that's an issue um and they can't keep doing that whether or not the personnel change changes that we'll see yeah we'll see you know thorns were down two zero pretty early on in new jersey they were actually up two zero early in the second half in the first week of the season against orlando ended up winning two nothing they have a repeat performance so early yeah. in the season. This Saturday in Orlando, they will be going to face a Pride team that will be without Ashlyn Harris, Ali Krieger, and Alex Morgan, all of them away with the U.S. So what to expect from this game? Obviously, a drastically changed Thorns team, a drastically changed Pride team. I guess I'm kind of expecting a very similar game because I don't think the team's tactics or style are going to change that much. I think maybe both teams are missing some of the most dangerous pieces. Still got Marta on the other side there, yeah. but at the same time, you still have Caitlin Ford. You still have got some good players on the Thorn side. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I think Marta's the X factor there um, just because she's so good. Um, and, and while there's going to be changes on, in both lineups, she, she can still – uh, change a game um mm-hmm. so that that definitely helps orlando but orlando i think right now is last in in the nwsl they've had a poor start to the season even with their national team players they sure. obviously are dealing with a, a new coach and a transition um I, I think you look down their lineup and, and when they lose uh alex morgan and, and, and ali krieger um 
and uh, Ashlyn Harris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like about to. I know. Which U.S. national team goalkeeper is on their team? <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah, uh, I, I think they're losing a lot. Whereas I, I feel like the Thorns overall do have more depth um, to be able to handle this uh, compared to Orlando. I, I still think this is a winnable game for the Thorns, and it would, I, I think, be a good confidence builder to be able to get that win out of the way their first game without their uh, U.S. Women's National Team players. So let's skip to Donna's question so we can get a little bit more insight into what you're actually talking about. Go on record here a little bit. Donna, one of our most loyal listeners, asks, predictions for the Thorns lineup this week are Andresina and Haley Rosso back now, and are they ready to start? Well, I mean, I'm going to throw that to you first sure. because I uh, haven't had a chance to talk to Mark this week, but maybe you have. Do you have a sense of yep. the second half of her question? Sure. Um, Andresina and Haley Rosso are both back at this point. Um, Haley Rosso, well, let me, let me say this. I haven't seen Haley in person, so I can't for sure say that she's back. She's supposed to be back this weekend. Andresina is back. I have seen Andresina in person. <laughs> um, are they ready to start? I don't know. I would highly doubt that you're going to see Haley Rosso on Saturday. Andresina just looked pretty good. She's been doing full training with the team. Uh, look, looks sharp. Looks like the injury that kept her in Brazil. I honestly can't detect any of it. She's in good spirits. She just had a birthday last week. Um, predictions for the Thorns lineup. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You can go. All right. So Britt Decker, Sherman, goal. Back line. Megan Klingenberg. Emily Menges, Catherine Reynolds, Ellie Carpenter, uh, the two people in deep midfield, I will say are Celeste Bure and Gabby Seiler. Above them will be Dagny brynjers Deuter. And then in attack, we'll have Caitlin Ford, Anna Cernogorsevich, and Tyler Lucy. I'm try- I was, should have like written all that down, so I made sure I hit all- <laughs> see if I disagreed. I, I think I'm getting Menges back, it, potentially, um, and I That's... was going to follow up. But it sounded like that sounds within the time frame that uh, Mark was saying yeah, uh, actually, when we last spoke. Um, it, it does very much sound within the time frame that Mark yeah. was indicating. Um, actually, I said Tyler Lucy. I'm going to switch that to Mitch Purse. Well, yeah, I was going to say, did you forget Mitch Purse? Because I feel like Purse would probably be in the lineup. That was the, the one change I think I was going to say. Mengas could help a lot if these defensive issues uh, yeah, to help shore up the back line. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think it's going to be Purse. I'm, yeah. going, I'm willing to put Purse in, in my group. I, I think outside of that, uh, I don't think I, I really can quibble much with what, anything else you said. The only other thing I will add is that Angela Salem is also back now. So that's another midfield option. But I think... Yeah. Uh, Kind of like you know switching to Purse from Lucy. I should have said Purse to begin with. We're seeing Purse be kind of the first person off the bench. Yeah. And Gabby Seiler has been getting kind of those minutes in midfield, and maybe part of that is because Ann Salem wasn't here. Still back at East finishing school. She's here now. Uh, but you think that right now Gabby Seiler at least is the person to be caught by Angela Salem yeah. if Angela's going to get playing time. Uh, listener question for this segment, Tim. If you got to name the U.S. Women's National Team, which was named late last week. Who didn't make the team that you would add? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, I think the biggest, you know, I think probably McCall Zerbani and Casey Short were probably the biggest snubs. God dang it. That was my uh, tweet. You, you stole my content. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like everyone would say that. Give me my content back. I, yeah, I think on both of those, um, I was surprised to see yeah. Ali Long. Um, yeah. I thought that that was going to be Zermani's spot, uh, most likely. And, and I am surprised to not see Casey Short, because I think from a depth perspective, uh, they seem to be lacking yeah. uh, a little bit of depth without her. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that either Zerboni or Short weren't in the team. From what I know, um, from like just the 
the little birds whispering in the women's national team community, there are good reasons for both of those. I don't think this is capricious. I don't think this is bad analysis by Jill Ellis and her staff. It'd be really arrogant for me to, to say if it was, <laughs> considering how little I know about these players compared to her. The reasons that I'm hearing about, I disagree with on a certain level, but I think they're understandable. And the reason I disagree with them is that I think one thing people don't factor into this is you're spending two and a half months together. Which people at the end of that bench are going to be team players come week eight, week nine of that time together. Because if you have people, when you're in your hardest games and you're barely winning them, you're having to just summon every little bit of will to distinguish yourself from Germany and France. You don't want somebody that's complaining about their playing time. Or like in the week leading up to the game going, oh, I can't believe we're doing this again and I'm not even playing. That happens in sports. And not just with the women's national team, with every sports team. You have people that just... Don't get on board with not playing. I think at World Cups, you need people who are on board. McCall Zerboni is one of the most liked players in the league. And I think everybody would assume that she would look at even making the World Cup as an accomplishment and would be happy to be there. And Casey Short is also one of the most popular, nicest, well-liked players in the league. And I'm, I'm not going to say if that any of these players that were selected aren't popular. I mean, I, I think all of them are well-liked. But those are two players that you would want around you for nine or ten weeks. Yeah. So that's part of the surprise here. Because I don't think the 18th through 23rd spots on this roster matter. I think what matters is that they are going to be people that will train hard every day. That are going to be good to their teammates the whole time. And never kind of wonder, like, why, why haven't I even gotten a minute yet? So, yeah. That's my speech about that. Yeah. Now, so the two people who are definitely aren't like that are. <laughs> no, yeah. we'll stay away from that. How do you think the U.S. is going to do? I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised with a lot of options. I mean, I think they'll probably come close to, to winning. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think they were necessarily even playing their best soccer in 2015. It, it just yeah. sort of worked out. Uh, and I don't think they've been playing their best soccer necessarily leading up to this but they are the u.s and they have the talent that they have and if they find a way to come together they can win this entire thing but also france is i think going to put a a decent run there i I mean i think australia i think canada i I think uh, obviously germany um Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of teams that could make a surprise run here um and the u.s are clearly one of the favorites and, and i think france is clearly a favorite but um I wouldn't be surprised with a few different outcomes. Yeah, and I, I would put England in that category too, as far as dangerous teams. Yeah, you know it's weird. <laughs> I was I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and trying to think back to the the last time in my lifetime where you would really consider like the United States. I'm not saying that they're a huge favorite in this tournament, but they're kind of like a little bit ahead of everybody else. And going into the last tournament, I think most people would put Germany and France on the same level as them, and the tournament before that, Germany. I don't even think that this is the best U.S. team we've had in the last four or five World Cups. But there just isn't... Who's their, who's their main competition? Okay, Australia, Canada, Germany, France. None of these teams are super convincing. Yeah. And you know the U.S. is going to perform to a certain level. And I mean, you look at some of the players the U.S. has. You have Tobin Heath and Megan Rapinoe. <laughs> How is that fair? You have Lindsey Horan and Sam Mewis and Julie Ertz in the same midfield. What is wrong with it? Like, why aren't you winning every game? You have Becky Sauerbrunn? I mean, I think you should mention Alex Morgan when you're talking about your front line. Right. You gotta mention I Alex Morgan. Met, well, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I think Alex Morgan is one of the better strikers in the world, but 
I don't even think she's one of the top two most dangerous attacking players on her team. That's Heath and Heath and Rapino. Yeah. I mean, and then Alex Morgan does a great job of being incredibly dangerous herself. For me, look, I'm, I'm not going to say the World, the World Cup would be a failure if they don't win it because you might have England play out of their mind in the semifinals and win a one to nothing game, and that just happens. But to me, the U.S. is the favorite here. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons I put France uh, up there, um, maybe like U.S., France, and then the other teams, that yeah. it is because it's on home soil. And I do think there's a, it, it could go two ways. Yeah. I mean, ask Brazil. It can go different ways. But um, I, I think there's, there's definitely they could play above um, sort of what we expect just because of the Abs- yeah, that's being a great, at home. Uh, that's a great point. I think for me, France and the way their roster is right now reminds me too much of Canada four years ago, where Canada was kind of in between generations. And they had people like Kadisha Buchanan, Jesse Fleming, Ashley Lawrence, who were probably one World Cup ahead of where they really were going to be their yeah. strongest. And France right now is trying to integrate a bunch of players that are coming through their top clubs who are probably one World Cup ahead. But the interesting question that you pose is, yeah, but what if what if being at home makes up for that? And also, what if the fact that there isn't a team that's clearly playing at like this killer top yeah. level that every single one of these favorites have vulnerabilities? What if that's enough to push France over the top? Yeah. Either way, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be going to be really fun. I'm way more looking forward <laughs> to this tournament than I was the men's tournament last year. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, looking forward to. Friday, Vancouver, BC Place, Portland Timbers, three wins in a row against the Vancouver Whitecaps, coming off a win over Colorado that the Timbers couldn't get. <laughs> so, in the snow, in 19 degrees. In that, in that sense, Jamie, we have this test bed that shows us that against identical opponents, Vancouver produces better <laughs> results. Therefore, you're picking Vancouver to win this game. It's science, right? I think whatever you say before I make predictions is just the exact opposite of my thinking. What? Like, that's think never, that's, hap- that's never that's happened before. Um, I, w- think, I think you're just being difficult. <laughs> I think you hear what I say and you go the opposite direction. Maybe. <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows what it actually says on the, on the sheet in front of me? Um, I'm going to go with the 3-1 Timbers win. I don't think Vancouver's that good. I think the Timbers play well at BC Place. I think they're playing well right now. And I think this is a winnable game. Yeah, I'm going with a boring prediction that I alluded to earlier in the show. I think one team will be shut out. I think whoever wins, who scores first in this game wins this game. I think the Timbers have been showing well defensively, even though they haven't got that clean sheet yet. Vancouver, like I said, those performances against Seattle and LAFC at home, Seattle kind of peppered them, but still couldn't break through. Um, I could see the Timbers losing this one one nothing. I can see them winning it 2 or 3 nothing. Uh, Thorns, Orlando the next day at Orlando City Stadium in... My former home state of Florida. Who's going to win this one? I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, Orlando and Miami are different states. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. make that clear. Sorry, Jamie Chin, but it's a different world. <laughs> I also think that uh, the Thorns are better than Orlando. And, I, and even what, with the absences. What evidence do you have of this? <laughs> what evidence do you have to prove this? <laughs> the table. Also, also recent life. <laughs> yeah. I have I have general common sense. That's yeah. in my corner. Um, I, I also think the Thorns' depth is better than Orlando overall. Even though I think Marta could be an X factor here, I am going to go with a two-one win for the Thorns. Yeah, the the one there is interesting to me because the game was two nothing last time. So yeah. you're you're I'm giving Marta the X factor. Yeah, you're kind of uh, you're kind of giving your sense uh assessment of the the thorns defense right now right <laughs> that's that's the real takeaway to make from this prediction yeah. by the way by the way jamie you just predicted a, another 2-1 game 
Yeah, but it, it, you said it, it was okay if it was if the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I keep, I keep wanting you to forget that I that caveat is actually what you have to say each time. Um, you know, I had the prediction on here that I wrote down that said Tyler Lucy goal. We just talked through the, my Tyler Lucy issue where I totally overlooked Midge Purse. I'm sticking with the Tyler Lucy goal. How's that? I think she'll definitely play in this one. Yeah. I mean, there just aren't that many bench options. I can see her coming on in the 60th minute for Anna Cernogorsovich. I could see her starting. I could see her starting. Uh, and, you know, Tyler Lucy's always found a way to score she a couple has. goals a year. So <laughs> I think this is going to be a game where her intensity is going to be a little bit too much for the pride's pride. It's going to be a pretty good prediction if you get it right. <laughs> well, we know that's not going to happen because I don't get <laughs> predictions right. Otherwise, Diego Valeri would have 34 goals and 34 assists. <laughs> um, let's, get to, let's get to fantasy because our, our friend Mark, who has been giving us updates on fantasy throughout the year, thank you, Mark, gave us kind of a detailed update this week. He gave us some full names, and he gave us some strategy that people like you and me don't consider, but is very important when you have a bunch of midweek games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll to say the standings first. Uh, in third place, we have Geostorm FC. Uh, that's Aaron Rachel's uh, with 800 total points. Uh, we have Crowder's Mug Club United in second. That's Xavier with 882 points. And Wook Score More Goals is still in first. Uh, that's Robert with 895 total points. So those three teams are the only ones with perfect records in this league, 9-0-0 after nine weeks. But what's interesting, not to get too big into the analytics <laughs> of a fantasy league, is that the fifth place team, Timbers Beast, uh, run by Mac F, actually has the greatest point difference in the league at 431. Now, 431 is pretty good. It's better than Geostorm FC, which is 426. Just had some bad luck with the scheduling. 918 points for, that's highest that we're seeing here. I think maybe Timbers Beast is actually the best team here. And as the season goes <laughs> on, I'm wondering if we're the Timbers Beast mean is actually higher than the rest of these other teams means, Jamie. Uh, what did Giovanni Savarese have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I forgot to ask him. I'm going to have to gonna have to follow up on that one. But apparently, just, just it's asking, a big week. Yeah, just asking Brian Fernandez questions all the time? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Holy cow. It was a crazy, crazy Jeez. thought of me. Uh, apparently, this week with uh, the two weeks, uh, a lot of Wednesday games, we could see some change in the fantasy next week. So. Yeah. And a lot look, more to analyze. You look at the teams that have the double weeks. LA Galaxy, that's Latson's team. Uh, Atlanta United, Joseph Martinez's team. Uh, New York Red Bulls, they got BWP on that team. You've got some uh, Toronto with Pozuelo. I mean, a lot of people have their main point getters doing double duty this yeah. week. So that's that's going to be interesting. Um, if it sounds like we're just making all this up as we go along, yeah, we don't play fantasy, but we're really, really appreciative. Mark and the rest of the Soccer Mate in Portland group for yeah. doing this. So. Yeah, we really are. Mark, thank you so much for sending this every week. Uh, and we will obviously keep everyone updated on the fantasy update. But for now, uh, I think we've reached the end of our show uh, today. So uh, we're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, Stumptown Footy, and Timbers.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care. <laughs> <laughs>